Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and joining me today after a week away is... Brendan Norrison, and it's, it's great to be back. Um, it doesn't seem as if Time Extend headquarters were affected by my absence, but yep, um, unfortunately for all the listeners, um, your groggy Scotsman has returned. And um, today, we, we don't even have an agenda, do we really, Adam? It's another free practice episode to kick off our new season. Yeah, every couple of episodes we, we kind of realize, like, oh, there's a lot of stuff we want to talk about that we haven't been able to get around to. Uh, and this one goes back a while because, uh, you know, Brendan, you went to you went to Sega in October and I did the whole GTFIA thing that I never got a chance to really talk about on there. So uh, we're going to do that, but also Need for Speed Heat came out, which I have been enjoying. I fear more than I really should be, but <laughs> it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and I just actually wrote a story and posted it to uh, Tom's Guide uh, all about why I think the game is actually pretty good. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to catch up on. We also took questions as well. Yeah, we did indeed. Um, kind of last-minute call to arms. So um, if you've missed out, um, apologies for that. But um, even with such a limited time before we started recording this episode, we got some great questions and um, there was some stuff during the week as well in general on Twitter interaction wise we'll probably call out as we discuss um, those Twitter questions but yeah it's good I think this is going to be a good episode to just kind of chill out and uh, yeah, just kind of discuss various things that have been going on especially Need for Speed Heat because I did not see you enjoying that at all Adam. Yeah it's it's well this episode is less fanfare than you probably expect from uh, episode number 30 which is a milestone for us. Uh, I never thought that any podcast I made would go to 30 episodes, so that's cool. Uh, but yeah, no, Need for Speed Heat, uh, I guess I guess that's a good place to start because... So, so I got Heat kind of with the same feeling with which you picked up Grid, just not really expecting much of it. Sure. Um, didn't really... at the time I got it, which was actually on the public release day, not even the EA Access release day, um, I got code for it through work and uh, started playing it. Wasn't really sure what the reaction was to it from people who had uh, gotten early access and very quickly realized like this game addresses many of the issues I had with the last two games, which I thought were awful. And it also made me realize that like the problems the, the problems that Need for Speed has had in recent years aren't actually that complicated. Like if you just if you sort the physics out and you get rid of the microtransactions and you throw the game into an open world that doesn't feel like wasted or boring or dry, right there you've solved most of the issues with the franchise and at that point, it's just making sure the economy works well, and just making sure there's enough content and and, and enough things to kind of give you give you activities to do and, and keep players happy. And and that's to me, that's exactly what Heat is. You know, it's not perfect. I, I have issues with it, but uh, the more I play it, the more I feel like it's my favorite Need for Speed game. At first, I was thinking since Hot Pursuit 2010, but now I think it might even be better than that. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's just it's such a surprise because I don't know about you, Adam, but I just felt as if Ghost Games, for, for as hard as they try to kind of capture the essence of Need for Speed, it always seemed as if the handling element of the game was going to be a massive bugbear. 
And from what you've been seeing so far in the article uh, that you've written that I did have a read at, it isn't so much that the the handling engine is so fantastic that's what makes the game good, but rather they've just they've managed to tweak it enough that it's actually an enjoyable drive, so to speak. But the overall experience is one that I believe you've actually went on record as saying you enjoyed it. You're enjoying it, sorry, a, a lot more than you have for Forza Horizon 4, which is very intriguing. It's this weird thing where, like, <laughs> yeah, Horizon 4 is probably for the majority of people technically the better game. It it runs better, it looks better, it handles better, the world is bigger, and I guess you could argue better. It has a whole seasons thing going for it. It has a much bigger roster of cars, but just this issue uh, that I've had with Horizon uh, is that, and and really, pretty much almost every recent Forza game is that. Uh, the single player is just totally, in my opinion, ruined by the fact that the progression and the economy are essentially, like, the economy is non-existent. I mean, stuff is given away so freely in that game that is, nothing yeah. carries weight or matters. Um, you don't have to be selective about the cars you buy to finish certain events. You don't have to be selective about how you spend your time. You, you go to a map and you see, you know a hundred different events around the map and it's unclear which ones you've actually completed and which ones you haven't and you can also enter any of those events with any of the cars you have because the game will basically change <laughs> you know if if you if you click on a race uh with you know a 90 supercar then that's the opponents you will have but if you do it with an off you know with a rally car or something you've built to go off road then it'll throw those cars at you like it's it's totally one of those games that's built to fit whatever the player, you know, feels like doing at any given time, which I, I don't think that's such a bad thing. I, I just feel like, I don't know, what I look for from, from not even just from racing games, but from video games in general is like, here's a challenge, you know, how do I rise up to the occasion? And I don't get that sense at all from Horizon, but like, none of that is true of Heat. Like, it's... It is very much that classic open world street racer, uh, you know, specifically if we're going to say Need for Speed, like kind of like most wanted formula where, you know, there's risk and reward. You have to be selective about every decision you make. Uh, there's a whole element where there's the day racing, the night racing, uh, daytime you do sanctions, uh, legal events earn you cash, and at nighttime you earn rep, and you can't get buy with just one of those currencies in the game you need both uh, and you can't even buy cars or anything like that unless you've hit a certain level the same thing goes for parts uh, with your rep so you need to earn rep before you can actually spend money and uh, it, it just kind of fosters this like back and forth going between both forms of the game uh, just to just to get by and it's like you might earn a ton of rep in one night and then you're thinking like ah now I can buy whatever I want to buy so then you'll do a bunch of races and their money and then you'll buy that thing and you'll be like oh but if i had a little bit more rep and i could get to level 37 and buy this other car and it's just like you just before <laughs> you know it, it's like three hours have passed and you only meant to play this game for 20 minutes and that's kind of what i've had to deal with every single night since i bought it it's been a lot of fun it's, it's almost episode worthy in itself um how much i feel as if this progression path you're talking about has uh, degraded from um, video, uh, racing video games in general because like you're saying Forza Horizon 4 is a fantastic playground 
But in terms of fantastic game about how the events are set up and how you have to work to complete those, I mean, the game doesn't or, really or seem... Or don't. First. Yeah, or don't, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. The game really doesn't care if you come last or first, in all honesty. Um, but it seems like Need for Speed Heat kind of touches upon that point that we always make clear is really important in racing games now to stand out. And that's take a, a plunge in your own kind of points of principle about what you want your game design to be like and frame it around that because the game also has no microtransactions and stuff which has led to some weird hot takes in games media about what it could mean for the series um but it almost feels like if microtransactions were in here but people playing the game were forced to actually earn products the narrative would have been oh they, they forced microtransactions in here because we actually have to race to earn credits and stuff and rep but in the end by removing those microtransactions which I'm guessing might have actually been because of this like perception element of games now by removing the microtransactions and leaving a game that still demands your time and attention to actually get the stuff you want it seems like it creates a compelling experience and to be honest I can't remember the last time I've played a Need for Speed game for like three hours at a time so hearing that Adam that you're doing that and you have really not been that you've not really been that impressed with the previous two games. I'm somebody who managed to play 2015 for an ungodly amount of time for some reason. Um, it seems like Need for Speed Heat might be exactly what I should have spent my money on in the past two months as far as racing games go. Yeah, it, it's funny because you mentioned that Polygon article about how it doesn't mean good things for the series, and Polygon also posted their review. Who It was written by uh, Owen Good, who is a great... Uh, writer as far as like he, he reviews a ton of sports games and he's awesome. sure uh and and his review was basically saying that like he i think the the thesis was pretty much like you know i can't really put my finger on what they should have done differently with this game but it just it, it's fine but really it just feels like you know a step backwards in time it just feels old and dated and it's funny because playing it, that's exactly what I love about it. It's like playing Most Wanted again. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's the difference is, of course, now I'm like 15 years older. And, you know, if, if I went back and played Most Wanted today, uh, which I haven't done in a long time, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be as high on it as I was when I was like, you know, 14 or whatever. But like, yeah, uh, it's a very like back to like return to the golden era of street racing kind of game you know it's you, you go into a campaign you have this really really cheesy storyline that doesn't make a whole ton of sense uh why is this city that has a huge street racing problem having like a speed hunters like legally sanctioned like racing series every single day on public roads it doesn't make sense why would you do that <laughs> um <laughs> And then, and then you know, the police force is corrupt, and and it's it is it, it's funny because uh, in one sense it's very uh, dated in that it has that you know really cheesy plot, but on the other hand, it's uh, very 2019 in that all police are corrupt, and uh, and basically all of the uh, all of the protagonists are kind of the youths rebelling against against the corrupt uh, boomer police. So I mean sure. that's that's uh i guess appropriate for the day but but 
you know, it, it does feel like a classic experience and that's why I love about it. And the fact that there are no microtransactions that, that really contributes to it. I mean, just like the old days when you're playing this game, you just, you just play the game. I mean, you're never pestered to, to spend real money on anything. From what I've heard, there are a couple packs that are like, will help you. I, I think it's like find some of the hidden content because there are a ton of collectibles in this game. Uh, like there's like Burnout Paradise style billboards and stuff like that. Um, although those already come up on my map. I don't know if that's because I got a certain code or what. But uh, yeah, so like there's stuff you can buy that helps you do that. But there's nothing like there are none of the loot boxes that play payback that made that game absolutely insufferable. So just by getting rid of all of that stuff and just going back to the open world style of gameplay and just trying to string these long pursuits around, they've made a game that just feels feels like it could have released, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, but honestly, in, in the best way possible. Uh, and you can, uh, you can lose yourself in a game like that. At least I feel like you can. I mean, the multiplayer, from what I've heard, I, I, have, I actually barely have any, had experience with the multiplayer for as much as I've been playing this game because, like, my internet wasn't working for most of last week. So uh, I wasn't really able to do any of just, like, the online cruising and just start random races with people. I've heard the multiplayer isn't that deep. But honestly, I haven't been looking for a new racing game to satisfy the multiplayer side of things because every racing game today can almost yeah. do that. You know, I, I've been looking for something to really suck me in single player wise, and that's what that's what Heat has done. And it just goes to show how long it's probably been since an open world racing game was properly challenging in any way as well. Because I feel as if we're in this weird area with driving games where if something's open world, it's automatically put into that kind of playground box that we're talking about where you can do whatever you want, you can drive whatever cars you want, and the game will kind of design itself around that. Or in Need for Speed's case, in the last time around, um, rely on a weird card gimmick through loot boxes. And like you're saying, this game might have been able to come out 10 or 12 years ago, and it probably would have been described as stale and uh, more of the same but because it has been so long since we've had a, a traditional street racing open world game that uses cops really well and has that day night cycle in there and actually changes gameplay based on what time of day it is um i mean kudos to the ghost it seems like they've They've done exactly what they set out to do, I think, which was to try and bring a bit more um, optimism to the Need for Speed series. And whilst it might be considered an easy win, because it's a it's a type of game that's been done a lot in the past, and I'm not sure what it means for the future of the franchise, because I don't think they could just make this a game next time around. Um, it's, it's exactly what Need for Speed needed. And personally, like I said, I've not picked it up yet. But um, I think I might pick up the, the Origin trial version, give it a 10-hour sprint, see how I feel. Um, the only trepidation I have is um, I've seen you say that um, some of the PC performance leaves a bit to be desired, Adam. Yeah, so I've actually seen, like, I've had my own experience, which has been kind of poor in the performance side of things, and I've seen some people say it plays pretty smoothly. So it might be an issue with my PC or... I don't know, there's, there's nothing as far as I know that's like weird about the way I built my PC, but you know, I guess every machine's different. Uh, yeah. Basically, the game, there's like no way to run it kind of at like a locked frame rate. So it 
hovers mostly like between like 60 and 80, but vacillates a lot between those two points on my system. And I have it on like, uh, not ultra. I have it on mostly high, like between high and ultra settings. And there is, the game looks good, but it doesn't quite, even when it's supposedly telling me it's like going at like 70 frames per second, it doesn't really look like it. And there is a ton of screen tearing. Uh, which honestly, it, it sounds awful, but the screen tearing mostly affects like cutscenes. Uh, in gameplay, the screen tearing is not as bad, but it's still kind of noticeable sometimes. And yeah, if they could, if they could address that, uh, if they kind of optimized it a little bit better, um, that that would have gone a long way. I mean, on consoles, I think it runs at like 30 frames, uh, so it's not. I don't know, and and I also like uh, to be clear. Like everyone always said that like, oh, 2015 is such a beautiful game and everything like that. I never really thought that like making everything really dark and then putting rain everywhere made a game look really pretty. Like, don't forget the Instagram filler. <laughs> yeah, like some sometimes. I mean, sometimes that works, and like there are times. Uh, you know, Heat isn't an ugly game, but like I just don't. I don't think it's like you know. I don't think we need that that dark rainy aesthetic fits every single scenario. Uh, I feel like it's almost like the the late 2010s version of the you know uh, the the brown sepia filter of the most wanted days. So whatever, uh, it's it's a good looking game. It does have some performance issues on PC, as far as I found. Um, and and like you know, I, as much as I'm saying I really really like it, and I do, I like don't want anyone to go out and buy the game and expect that you know i it's perfect or i told them it was perfect or whatever you know there are things i don't love about i don't think the physics are perfect but they are they are good enough whereas before i felt like they were never good enough to allow you to just have a decent experience and uh the cops are fun but also the balancing is kind of off uh which I mean, it can go into that for a while. Basically, if you if you lose, uh, if you get busted, if you lose a pursuit, they can take a lot of money away from you. Uh, it's like a percentage, but I found that that percentage changes. Uh, it might it might be based on the heat level you are when you get busted, but uh, you know there there have been times where I've had like sixty grand and they've taken like fifteen or twenty, and there have been times where I've had like I don't know three hundred grand and they've taken half of my money, and that's really awful because like you kind of want to you, you need to get those high heat pursuits and escape them to really earn a lot of rep so but and and if you aren't able to and you get busted then you you lose the multiplier you get from heat which is like okay if i you know if i push my luck and i don't get all the rep i meant to get fine but if you take my money away on on top of that like well then you've prevented me from buying a car that would help me escape the cops or upgrading the one I have. So I kind of have an issue with how strong the cops are in this game. But that said, uh, it's still, I mean, that, that does kind of play into the fact that, uh, you know, Ghost decided that they were going to make players work for it. So I, I do respect that at least. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody would say that you, you've been like perfectly glowingly positive about the game. Um, but even still, the, the fact that it's kind of in your top 10 Need for Speed titles now, um, as per the Tom's Guide article, which you guys should all go read. I haven't um, updated that one yet. <laughs> so oh, so that's not been updated yet. Okay, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a little sneak peek, I suppose. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think that 
it's good to see Need for Speed get a, a much needed um, kind of, I don't know, bit of safety in the sense that, that there is a future for this series potentially if they kind of tap into the audience that this game brings in and manage to keep EA's um, grubby hands off of the whole microtransaction side of things. Um, I'm not sure why microtransactions aren't in the game, but I'm not going to ask the question personally. Um, I'd, I'd rather it stays that way if it means we get more competitive, challenging experiences that don't feel a bit underhanded by the possibility to get real cash and I, game the system almost. Yeah, I think I think they just it, they just rub people, they rub a lot of people the wrong way, and I think it reflected in the game sales actually. Because I mean, look. At the end of the day, if you put tons of microtransactions in Battlefront or Call of Duty or something like that, those games are still going to sell regardless of the public outcry. But racing games are a niche, you know? So it's like if you're counting on sales from a certain group of people uh, and those people complain, I mean, there's not a massive mainstream market to fall back on. So I, I think they realize that they couldn't play that game with such a, such a particular... Uh, genre and I mean they made the right choice uh, it seems like they kind of learned from it now granted I do worry that like if heat does really well I, I probably I feel like microtransactions are going to make a return for the next game because if the if heat does really well they're going to want to monetize that uh, and if it doesn't then they're going to say oh it didn't make a difference so <laughs> either way yeah. I think we're going to go back to that but appreciate heat for what it is now um it's it's worth it and with uh, the holidays around the corner i've already seen that it's you know because games come out these days and they immediately go down price uh, as long as they weren't made by nintendo so i've i've already seen that it's <laughs> going to be like 35 dollars or something for black friday so that that's a good price if you're on the fence about this to pick up to pick the game up and i think you'll have some fun with it um i really do uh, oh and the the soundtrack is is really bad that's that's my that might be my biggest issue oh. with the game. The soundtrack sucks. <laughs> what what is it about it you don't like? Is it just licensed to trash for the most part? It's very it's it's mostly like trap and reggaeton cuz they're what they're trying oh, to do is okay. they're trying to like cuz the game is basically set in Florida essentially. Uh I mean Palm City is Miami. It's Florida although there are parts of it that are like well now we're in like Hollywood Hills. So there sure. are parts of it inspired by California too. It's a pretty diverse map, but but anyway, yeah, it's just like two genres that personally I don't have much interest in. I mean, I like some trap music, but the thing is like I don't I don't think Migos is great driving music. Like even even though even the songs in that game I like, I'm like I wouldn't want to drive to this. This doesn't get me pumped. Like it makes me feel like I'm on like ketamine or something like that and I'm <laughs> asleep. Like it doesn't it doesn't get you going. Uh and there's there's actually some good menu music in the game. Like there's times where like there's you're on a loading screen and you're kind of watching the camera pan around your car and uh, there are visuals in the background that kind of pulsate uh, to the music and all of the the original score isn't bad, but most of the game is licensed music and I can't stand the licensed music. So uh, there's also not many songs and there are different songs depending on whether you're playing a day or night or whatever. So uh, that's cool. So yeah, it all gets it all gets grading pretty quickly, but. But it's easy enough. Just just get your you know Spotify playlist going, and and you'll be fine. <laughs> Ten hours of Rotter damnation, and you'll be fine. Maybe maybe not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to, to everyone that really wanted to hear us discuss this game, 
I can only apologise that it isn't a full episode's worth, but as tends to be the time extend way, we've still managed to talk about this game for like 20 minutes, so hopefully and that, I that think, is enough. I think in the future, there's there's definitely a Need for Speed retrospective episode in the future. The question is how we do that without it taking up three game, or three three separate episodes, because there are so many games in that series that I think we'd really have to prioritise. Maybe like a best of Need for Speed and the worst of Need for Speed might be the way to do it. Yeah, I think that's the one we kind of talked about, wasn't it? Like, almost, like you're saying, the best games in each of our eyes, the, the worst ones, and the one that's maybe perhaps the most underrated. Not a fantastic game, but one that maybe gets a lot of flack that we quite enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's definitely a show I want to do in the future. I think Need for Speed's a really, really interesting series because... Uh, I struggle to call, and even in my story, I struggle to call Heat a return to form because form <laughs> would suggest some sort of consistency, and that series is yeah. the least consistent thing ever. Uh, and then when it is consistent, it's usually consistently bad. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's just really interesting to talk about because it's all over the place. But uh, but yeah, we should we should probably cut the Need for Speed discussion there because there, we've got some other things to talk about. this is a bit different than normal but it's it's two personal experiences that we've both had um i mean i i'll kind of kick off with the sega chat given that you've kind of rumbled on about need for speed heat if that's good with yourself adam yeah go ahead yeah so you might have seen on twitter um that effectively uh, one of our friends um of the podcast uh, alex easter reached out to myself and adam and offered the incredible opportunity to visit a Sega headquarters, specifically the one in the UK. Um, basically, they, they were interested in getting the two of us down there to play some virtual racing, um, and just basically take part in one of their community podcast eh, podcast Jesus um, live streams um, that they do pretty frequently. To be honest, um, they've got a dedicated streaming setup, so it's worth checking out those guys' Twitter account, obviously. If you're into that type of thing, um, Adam, you you weren't able to come given the, the kind of length of journey that would be would have been, but yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, I wasn't able to just uh, fly, you know, f uh, five or six hours to London on the way. But <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I mean that that's just the way it goes, unfortunately. We're trying to address that for next year, so uh, there's a possibility. Not, yeah, not, definitely. Not the uh, you know I'm not promising anything yet but you know keep yeah just keep out. keep posted on that one um you know everyone who listens knows how we're trying to do a lot more with the pod and kind of branch out a bit and that's definitely in the plans but for for this particular time um i said yes of course i'd love to come down and check out the office and that type of thing so 
it was actually a pretty interesting time to go down because um, it fell around about what in the UK we call October week, which is basically like a half term um, time for the schools and that type of thing. So it meant that the prices for travel were insane because people would be going day trips and that type of thing. So it turned out that I had to basically get a train down in the morning and then a sleeper train back to Glasgow at night. <laughs> so I travelled from Glasgow to London and back within a 24-hour spell. And it was exactly 24 hours, funnily enough. My first train was at 7 in the morning on the Friday and I arrived back in Glasgow at 7 in the morning on the Saturday. Um, that that was the, the best way to do it, basically, in a cost-efficient way. Um, it was an insane, like... 24 hours to put it lightly i was so fucking tired by the time it was over um how long is that train ride again so going down the way it was about four and a half hours and it's not too different than if i just sorry it's not too different than if i just flew there actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that that's the the funny thing about it is like the train is definitely the best option instead of flying um, in this scenario, because there was no overnight flights, so the way it worked out, it was cheaper to do it by train, and I'd always wanted to try the sleeper train out before, it's it's called the Caledonian sleeper, and uh, basically that one's a bit slower, it's like six hours I think journey time, because they don't want to make the train rattle about too much, and kind of disturb people who might want to sleep, so yeah, I put my tickets for that, and the part in the middle is the most interesting, obviously, but I just wanted to give a bit of context to how crazy the, the journey really was. Um, yeah, so got to London about 2pm, oh, I think it was, and the Sega offices are actually, they're pretty remote compared to what you'd imagine, like, in, in your head you'd think, oh, Sega, offices right in the middle of London. It's not quite like that, I believe it's uh, Brad, uh, Brentford. Brentford, I think it is. Yeah, I always get mixed up between Brentford and Bradford. Um, sorry, there you go. No, I, I will say that the uh, the several I don't know three or four times that I've been gone into London from Heathrow, you you pass the Sega office on your journey, and yes, it's, it's kind of a magical experience because in the distance you see this building. I don't know if they still have it, but there's a they they used to have like this like sign with sonic on it like above the sega yeah like (laughs) above the sega logo and it's yeah it's pretty cool actually my brother went there before i did uh before i ever made it there he took a picture and sent it to me and i was like oh my god that exists (laughs) (laughs) it is surreal like when i when i was walking up to the building and they've got like this huge flag with the word sega on it the logo it looks amazing They've got the huge Sega sign on the building itself, and then the massive Sonic sign as well. And oh, it's just—it's so weird, especially for myself. Like, if you had told younger, younger Brent that he would be going to the Sega offices for anything, he would—he wouldn't have believed it. And that's the way it felt. It was such a an odd experience. And by by kind of day job, I, I visit a lot of companies, some really cool ones as well. Um, kind of in the video game industry and that type of thing and you just kind of get used to going on client site and doing work but when I was standing outside of that building like I actually kind of had to take a few seconds because it was like this is wild <laughs> like, like I couldn't believe that I was about to enter one of the Sega headquarters basically and especially when that building would have been a massive hub for activity during Sega's golden era um, 
and they still do a lot out of the UK office in terms of marketing and some kind of small development as well, PR and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, when I got into the the lobby and seen the massive Sega side, and the, the lobby is incredible. They've got this huge Sega, sorry Sonic statue, um, a wall kind of with all of the consoles they've ever made, and some other really cool merchandise. Ah, uh, it was it was honestly wild. I couldn't quite believe that I was actually sitting there in a Sega HQ. Yeah. So, so the real question is, did you find the Dreamcast two prototype in their office? <laughs> I did indeed. Um, I tried to put it in my backpack, but uh, Knuckles was the bouncer, so he wasn't having any of that. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get out with the Dreamcast two prototype, but what I can see is that it's a. Uh, it's a real box. It exists. Okay, good. <laughs> Disclaimer, yeah. it doesn't really. <laughs> you know, I, I had I had my suspicions, so it's good to hear you confirm them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, basically, I kind of got in the, the lobby, met up with Alex, gave us a kind of brief tour. One of the cool parts of the office um, is that they have loads of meeting rooms, as you'd expect in any office. But they're actually themed after certain series and games by Sega. So they've got like a really weird, I think it's Company of Heroes. It's like a, a kind of war series that they publish. And it, one of the meeting rooms is literally like just all in camo. There's like netting on the walls. Oh, <laughs> and it's just, cool. it's really fucking cool. They've obviously got the obligatory like Sonic room as well. And the meeting rooms are just so original and creative. It's just funny to see because it's a a typical place in any office, but the culture of Sega is just everywhere in these offices. Like, I'm not kidding. Pretty much everyone's desk had some form of Sonic figurine or plush or crude drawing of Sonic (laughs) on the the kind of desks. Uh, I just want to say... I just want to point out that, like, we would be the best Sega employees because, like, I have, like, at least 12 different things I could decorate <laughs> my desk with on my first day there. Like, I've got a next-gen mag with Scud Race on it. I've got a Stratos and a uh, Delta Integrale model. Uh, yeah, that's just three things off the top of my head. But, yeah, we de- we would have the best desks. I think it's safe to say. Oh yeah, definitely. And if we were kind of sat beside each other as well, there'd be like this combined desk of all these old racing games. And... We'd oh, also man. we'd also probably be fired pretty quickly, just because yeah, we'd, true. We'd too, focus we're too, exclusively too much on fanboys. We focus exclusively <laughs> on the Sega Rally Four, which just isn't happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But honestly, like the, I think we've talked at length before about. Sega's culture in the UK was pretty fucking huge. Like, people loved Sega over here. So much so that Nintendo was almost an afterthought for so long. It wasn't quite until PlayStation came along that the kind of brand le- the brand alliances kind of shifted. Um, but, like, the, everyone that works there, just by looking at the office space, you get that vibe that they actually do have a genuine interest for the company. Um, and still have that like the professionalism is also obviously there but you just there's there's an atmosphere and maybe it's just because I'm biased but you just felt as if like this is this is what I imagine Sega headquarters to be like and yeah there's just so much merchandise everywhere there's like <laughs> weird stands you would see in retail shops for like obscure games and on the stands there's like 
hard copy unopened versions of like Football Manager 2013 and shit like that. And um, there's an obligatory game space as well where during breaks they'll play video games and that type of thing. Um, th- that's of course where I seen the Dreamcast 2 running Sonic Adventure 3. Right, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, watching the stream, I I don't know, at least I get pretty jaded and, like, my... This wasn't my assumption, but I was like, oh, you know... It wasn't my assumption necessarily, but I worried, like, oh, you know, he's gonna... Brendan's gonna go and play virtual racing uh, at Sega's office, and, and uh, you know, Alex obviously knows all about that game, but probably, like, the other people who are there are gonna be like, is this, like, Sonic? Whatever. I don't know. Just, they're, not, they're not gonna... They're not going to be into it, but no, like, uh, you did the stream with... Um, was it uh you did the stream with uh ibs and i don't remember the name of the air person who was there but everybody there was like like they were like experts at the game and knew exactly what it was you got your ass handed to you a couple times oh, yeah. like <laughs> they like they know their shit and it's not just like you know if you worry that like sega is basically a front for sonic now and does really nothing else uh no i mean it's clear there's there's people there who still have an appreciation for even the most obscure stuff um which I was definitely like delayed to see that uh, that they like all hear all the stories about like you know playing virtual racing and like arcades and stuff like that, uh, especially because living in the U.S. I have never once seen a real life VR cabinet. So uh, yeah, I mean I was I was really impressed by just how how willing and excited everyone was to like celebrate that less less championed aspect of Sega's history. Yeah, exactly, and that, that's what I loved about the stream as well, because it wasn't a case of, like you're saying, uh, Virtua Racing's just kind of come out on the Switch, let's just get a stream out there. It didn't feel like that at all. Um, the stories being shared on the, the live stream were fantastic, um, the engagement with the community as well was great. And like you are saying, it wasn't a case of me going down there and absolutely blitzing the competition. <laughs> Far from it. As you know, when it comes to Baybridge, I'm, uh, I'm the undefeated champ. But on, on any other of those maps, there was definitely some competition. Although I was convinced catch-up was on, just to put that point out there and get that typical racing driver excuse out there as well. On an unrelated note, we are now auditioning to replace Brendan on the show. Send us your best clips of uh, your fastest laps at all of, the, all of the virtual racing tracks, and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> I'll have you know that I did beat Sega Rally 2's 10-year championship mode. So, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be getting replaced anytime soon, Adam. Yeah, way, way to throw that back in my face. Fair <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the stream itself was great, and to be honest, I've never actually did a live stream, a proper live stream like that before, never mind in a studio environment. So it's really weird, like, how... I, you would have, I, I personally wouldn't really know this because I don't do much in media but like those live stream setups that companies have and kind of more professional streamers must have it is honestly like a tiny TV studio almost there's so many cameras and like mics and that type of thing that it was almost at, at first it was like wow I didn't know this was like such a, a serious setup to stream some video games but um, now you've got like somebody controlling all the kind of cameras the way it's presented um, some really incredible equipment in terms of getting the kind of audio quality and camera movement just right and yeah it was it was something that I probably would have been more taken aback by 
if if we hadn't been doing the podcast, funnily enough. Because I think the the part that made me realise just to kind of stay stay relaxed and enjoy yourself was just like I'm used to talking absolute trash to people over a mic anyway. Right, yeah. No, the uh, you, you all wouldn't believe the verbal onslaught uh, I deal with from Brendan when we're not actually on the air and he tries to put <laughs> on a, a nice a nice public face, but really this guy's a this guy's a monster. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does it does help out a lot. I mean, I I've done some live screen live Jesus, I've done some live streams for Tom's Guide, but uh, our setup was never that sophisticated and we haven't really done one in a while, so. Uh, to do a proper one seems really cool, and I, I've actually wanted to get into the streaming thing, sort of my yeah, you know myself, same. but like, and I think there's a way for Time Extend to do that that people will be interested in. Uh, I have to get a lot of equipment and sort things out. I, I tried to stream Need for Speed Heat a couple days ago, and even just figuring out like how do I look at the chat and also like have the <laughs> game running was like really challenging, and then like. I couldn't get my mic to work and then the game also dropped to like 40 frames per second so like it's complicated but uh yeah be cool to be cool to do that more often yeah but we've said before going forward in 2020 and beyond we're really at that point where we want to expand the community element of time extent because so much of what we do now is being influenced by the, the people that follow the show and streaming is naturally something people are interested in, we're interested in it. And um, yeah, there's definitely potential to, to kind of go into that medium. And who knows, maybe this kind of Sega experience is exactly the push we need to start considering that a bit more. Um, but yeah, we, we've got some stuff to work out on that side of things, so who knows how close it really is. But it's something I think time extend naturally lends itself to um, even the idea of a live podcast for example whilst you play a game or something there's there are many avenues that we could look at I would love to kind of have a, a Sega Rally stream as well to be honest Virtual Asim was fantastic as well because I was able to kind of say I'd never actually played the game as you know prior to the Switch release so it was entirely new to me whereas uh, Sega Rally 95 I think um You'd have to kind of shut me up on that one. Yeah, no, and and then in that case, if you really didn't beat everyone, it would be it would be pretty sad. Uh, just, but I but just Alex, retire. I know Alex is a Sega Rally. Uh, he's a veteran, you know. He's a that's like his game. He has a cabinet, right? He does. So, yeah. Yeah. Mad jealous yeah. of that. <laughs> I I would love to see that uh that face off that uh, one of you has to be in the Celica and one of you has to be in the Delta. Of course. And then, and then you do the next race and you switch off. I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. And then I, I kind of, if required, best of three, if it goes to the third race, both drivers in the Stratos. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. On Lakeside. Did, did we just, just that invent an eSport? <laughs> I, think, I think we did. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I think um, in terms of the Sega Rally, sorry, the Sega event to cap off, fantastic opportunity thanks so much to Alex for getting in touch um, so plans to have him on the podcast as well some point to talk about some of his favourite racing games which I feel will go down well, I don't want to ruin the surprise just yet um, but I'm not the only person that's been doing something really cool in the racing genre recently Adam, you have sort of a story as well yeah, oh man, so uh, end of August early September, I can't remember exactly when it was but uh, 
you know, Gran Turismo had their New York World Tour event, which is now we're going back like three events because their Tokyo just happened and they're about to have the World Tour finals in Monaco. Uh, I think like in a week or in two weeks. But yeah, so they had the New York event, which I actually didn't really know about until like a week beforehand because I hadn't really been following the uh, FIA Gran Turismo Championships. And I was lucky enough to get an invite and it was man it was it was a blast uh it, it's very rare even in my job now which i i get to have really cool experiences and you know i cover like mostly mobile phones like that's my beat and, and it's a passion for me and i i do love technology but i've gotten to a point where i've gone to enough briefings and enough events where i'm pretty jaded uh <laughs> but that going to that Gran Turismo event, walking into the PlayStation Theater and seeing all of these rigs, uh, Kaz is standing right there, um, you know, just a couple feet away from me and everyone else, and he's doing an interview, and it just it felt felt unbelievable. And then, luckily, I was able to connect with uh, Jordan Greer, you know, from GT Plant, who's been on the show, yeah. and. Uh, Jordan was fantastic. I mean, he introduced me to a ton of people at Polyphony. He, he introduced me to Kaz. So there was a, there was oh. a good picture there. Uh, yeah, Kent, I can't thank uh, not just not just uh, every not just Sony, you know, for inviting me, but just like I, I can't thank Jordan enough for the the hospitality and his willingness to introduce me to these people. I mean, like I was literally starstruck. Like I've never had that moment before. But like meeting everyone uh even getting to, to chat with translator son a little bit um yeah it's uh it was pretty phenomenal also um you know jimmy broadbent was there and uh steve alvarez super gt and so i got i got to meet those guys as well uh they're pretty cool so yeah it was just like going to the um you know going to the world tour they had the qualifying and then they had the race the next day and then they, they had like the the manufacturer final and then the uh the nation's cup final doing those uh and there was there was an after party afterwards that was that was a lot of fun <laughs> oh i bet <laughs> it was you were, you it was drunk where it, you had them. <laughs> it was crazy it was like uh yeah it was on like a rooftop uh in manhattan and it was just i walked up there and i was one of the you know i was it was probably uncool to show up as early as i did but it's literally all i wanted to do was just <laughs> exist in that like you know, hang out, talk to other people about all this stuff, um, and just be in that mindset and be in that world. So like I showed up there really early and the sun hadn't gone down yet. And I was kind of looking around and this was after a nation's cup final on Sunday. And I'm just like, he's like, I'm in New York and I'm at this bar and I'm looking at like, you know, the floor and everything. And like, they've got the light shining on the floor with the, the Gran Turismo and and the FIA logos like projected onto the ground and just like Jesus Christ where am I this is the coolest thing uh Lenny Ibizar you know who uh the guy who pretty much does a lot of the music I mean not purposefully for GT Sport but because um, sure. he's been a DJ for a very very long time but a lot of his music is featured in GT Sport in the menus he actually DJs their events their parties uh which is crazy um and i have it i have it on good authority although i did not see this at the world tour but you have it on good authority that the uh, kaz does like to dance uh when oh, yeah. um <laughs> when when lenny's playing uh so that didn't happen the night i was there but ah. it has been, it has been known to happen yeah i've seen some of the gifts and stuff like that um showing kaz getting down he's um 
certainly a mover. <laughs> yeah. But man, I mean, just like everyone from, from Plifney is super cool. And like, of course, the competitors. Like, I met, uh, I met like uh, Mikhail Hazal. I met uh, Koei Nikolakovsky, Adam Sisswillow. Interview a couple of those guys for some. Uh, for, for, for a story I did, I actually did uh, the when I got there and before I hadn't talked to or covered anything, uh, they had the like the pro am press uh, slash like you know driver you know professional uh, competitor race where basically they have they have uh, people from the press jump into a rig, do half a race, you pit, you switch out, and then the other guy comes in. And my partner for that event, who I didn't know at the time. Uh, but was Takuma Miyazono, who, you know, that at the New York event had that incredible race at Spa where people thought he could, he ran some really weird strategy where he pit an extra time more than everyone else and uh, yeah. actually did really well. And um, I think he would have come, he would have come third uh, if he didn't have a bit of an incident with, uh, with Cody. Uh, and he did really well after that uh, at Hangar 6 uh, in Austria. So I was his, I was his partner and uh, Takuma, doesn't speak any english so we had uh we had a translator ah um, right okay yeah yeah we had a translator discuss uh help us discuss our race strategy but the funny thing is right when i got there um kaz was doing his like uh recorded interview with uh michelin with people from michelin because that was where they announced the michelin partnership so uh basically me and takuma are in the audience and uh the translator, you know, finds me and then she's, you know, whispering, you know, I basically had to leave my seat and then go to like the aisle between between the seats and kneel down next to where Takuma was sitting. And the translator <laughs> kneeled down as well. And she's like, this is the only time we can have this conversation because the race is going to start immediately after this interview ends. And we were like, can we even talk like everyone's quiet? And they're like, yeah, you, you can talk. You just have to be really quiet. So basically I'm with. <laughs> I'm whispering questions to the translator. Translator is whispering them to Kuma. And my, my favorite moment was that, uh, you know, I just had, she's like, you know, he's asking, like, do you have any questions? I was like, I have two questions. I was like, uh, one, how do the tires work? And when you, and second, when do you want me to pit? And, you know, he's just like, there are two tire compounds. Which one do you want to start on? And I said, whichever one you don't want. And he was like, okay you'll get the hard tires. And I was like, perfect. And he was like, when do you want to pit? And I was like, y you can pit between laps four and six. And I was like, as soon as possible. <laughs> so, um, I, I made, I made a mess of that race. And if you, if you go and watch it on, uh, on YouTube, I am not proud of it. So maybe, maybe I should be replaced at time extend as well. Um, so but, we're looking for two hosts now. Right. Exactly. In my defense though, uh, I had to fend off. I mean, Jordan's really fast, but it's honestly unfair. Jordan's fast. He goes to enough of these things where he 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 knows exactly what he's doing. He had experience. Uh, but also, among among the amateurs, how unfair is this? Among the amateurs uh, was Juan Pablo Montoya because he was a featured guest at the what? event. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I don't I don't think that's really fair to lump him in with the rest of us. Uh, the rest of us writer, or us lowly writers and press folk. Yeah, that, that seems a bit um, slightly unfair, to say the least. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter too much how you perform because it's just such an incredible experience. And to be honest, I think nerves would really have maybe gotten the better of me, like trying to drive in that environment. Damn, like when I was, I was just doing like the five minute, you know, warm up 
before the race. And, uh, and I wasn't even there. I meant to be there for qualifying earlier, but I had missed it because uh, I was at the office because my, my office was literally like three blocks away from Times Square where the race is. So um, I came in for that warm up and, you know, never driven on that Thrustmaster wheel before, never driven that setup. And I was like shaking, like my legs were shaking. I couldn't even apply like consistent brake pressure because like I just, I was so nervous. And then once I was in the race, I was like, okay, I can, you know, I'm never going to be the fastest, but I can kind of hold my own. Uh, I think the best, um, the, the best uh, thing that was said about me, the most praise I got was when uh, Tom Brooks, you know, who does the commentary and is also in GT Sport. Uh, he said I recovered well from that spin. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's the best praise I got during that whole race. Get that on your CV, mate. <laughs> yeah, Key because... achievements. Recovered well from that spin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Such a great time. Also met a ton of, like, GT Planet people uh, that uh, were luckily around, like, that had come to that event. And I... I really hope, God, I mean, I don't think anyone from Sony or Polyphony is listening to this, but please come back to New York next year. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just, the, none of this stuff happens. Like, I was walking in Times Square before I got, you know, before I actually got to the PlayStation Theater, and I saw a guy wearing the No Punterino shirt. I mean, that that does oh, not, yes. that, that might happen <laughs> in the UK, that does not happen in New York City. So, it was so awesome to have kind of like Gran Turismo and, and you know, racing games and motorsport and everything descend upon, upon you know New York because it it's just not something we ever have access to over here. And I really really hope they return. The PlayStation Theater is is getting shut down, or I think maybe has already been shut down. But uh, I think I think Sony's are places they could go. So I'd love to see them return. I definitely want to go to one of those events myself at some point. I'm not sure when the opportunity would arise, but it's definitely. It's on the bucket list because Gran Turismo and GT Sport especially has just managed to cultivate such a competitive community. It's incredible to see, to be honest. Um, it's hard to make a case against Polyphony in terms of, oh, we want to achieve this. Like They, they set out at the very start their lofty ambitions, but they're having quite a goal actually meeting them and making them a reality. And the fact that they can close off these championships in fucking Monaco, of all places, doesn't get more lucrative than that. Yeah, and I have to say, um, like, the competitors are just, like, those guys are on their level. And, like, I uh, really had not been interested in esports at all until I went to that New York event. And ever since then, I've been following um, the GTFIA championships and... The cool thing is, and, and this is something that, like, uh, I remember, you know, I was chatting a lot with Jordan because uh, GT Plant also launched their league, which everyone should check out. Um, although I think they I think they just, like, finished up their, like, first season. But, um, yeah. you know, there's there's different schools of thought about how to do this properly. Uh, I, think, I think Polyphony kind of hedges their bets in that they have the manufacturer's events where it's different teams organized by manufacturers. And you do, unfortunately, have that, like, balance of, I mean... It's both accurate to real racing and not quite what everyone wants to see because you have that balance of performance. On the flip side, though, these things are kind of decided pre the events and like 
if someone qualifies really highly in, say, the Beetle Group 3, the Beetle Group 3 is usually not one of the stronger cars in the Group 3 class, so they probably aren't going to win the race. So, like, you have the issues with the manufacturer's championships where it's like not everyone's in equal machinery, but then to counteract that, they have the Nation's Cup where everyone is. So um, they do it a couple different ways. Uh, I think they're learning, and I think it's improving, and I think uh, event after event they're displaying uh, pretty much carving the way for how this can be done well. And just like the, the production values of everything are just amazing. Like sitting in that theater, hearing like, uh, like menu music from like GT five and six. I remember hearing from that, hearing like, you know, Daiki Kasho music as I'm inside oh, the theater, so like cool. pipe through the sound system. And then just the way that they've done the whole broadcast mode in GT sport, the graphics are unreal. Uh, it is it is such a highly produced experience, and I really think just like shows everyone how how to do racing esports right. Yeah, and to be honest, that's something that Polyphony they probably don't get the credit they deserve in the mainstream for what they've actually accomplished. Every so often, an article will fil filter out to the mainstream about what they're achieving, but it's incredible how how many people probably don't realise how how spot on the production values are the presentation the commentating teams are amazing as well yeah i mean the the commentary especially like i mean I don't, I don't think it's as much of a mainstream thing that anyone realizes but like it's such a power move to get fucking jimmy broadbent to do your commentary <laughs> for you like oh my god i mean people people are like absolutely just he has such a rabid fan base uh everyone loves him and like it's a very astute move to do that. So, so they are, you know, like 10 years ago, there used to be like jokes and stuff about polyphony, at least among fans that they, that they don't pay attention, that they've got their head in the clouds. They don't really get it and they don't know how to communicate and they don't know how to adapt. But everything I've seen from these of this event and, and these events that they've had with the FIA is just like, they've, they've learned, like they are out there. They are like getting, feedback from the community and they are a more global company than they've ever been before and that's really really exciting to see because i think that that only makes not only does it make you know the fia the fia series and esports better but it makes their games better i mean gt sport for me has been just consistently this this sim racer i can always return to on the ps4 for going on over two years now so yeah and <sighs> gt sport like, uh, they may have had a rough start. GT Sport might have had a rough start. So, like, when you consider how it actually ended up, it's it's a fantastic testament to the, the tenacity of Polyphony Digital. And to anyone that kind of doubted them along the way, myself included, um, humble Baha'i all around. Because I think GT Sport is now in a, a kind of a, a form where it's hard to deny that it's up there with the upper echelon of Gran Turismo games in terms of it had this objective and where it's at right now, I feel as if it, that Polyphony are doing everything in their power to make people believe it's vision. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think they're really convincing, slowly convincing a lot of people. I think it's just like getting the word of the mouth out there is tough. Um, you know, <laughs> ironically... You think about how big Gran Turismo was in the early days of the PS2 and, and the PS1 and 
uh, if something like this existed then, I think they would have no problem cultivating that community. But t today, it's today it's a little bit different. But they're do they're doing the best they can, and uh, I, I think that if you haven't, you know, if like me, you haven't been bitten by like the esports bug, kind of, you know, check check out the FIA events. I mean, from what I see on our on our Twitter, like most of our fans actually pay attention to that stuff. So I'm kind of the one who hadn't, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, if uh, if you're kind of looking for that, there are so many different series and uh, promotions and there's a more independent stuff um, and there's stuff that's actually affiliated with the games. Uh, you know, it's all different. It's all good. It's all worth checking out, especially because a lot of these guys go between different series. You know, some of the, uh, the like the Williams Esport team and Team Redline, like they did the GT Planet League. So so they're getting like the biggest names, which is pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's good to start. Good to start with the with the Grand Turismo FAA series and see what that's like. And uh, yeah, I like I said, just I hope they come back to New York. And uh, I'm really excited for the Monaco final because um, we're going to we're going to get that Hizal versus Fraga showdown, which uh, we've had a couple times. But this time the, the stakes are, you know, it's it's for all the, it's for all the marbles. <laughs> so it's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not heavily invested in the esports the e side myself, but I know fine well that that is the rivalry to watch out for. And um, call me a bandwagoner or whatever, but I'll definitely be watching that final, final, so to speak. <laughs> yep, yep, as everyone should. So, uh, it's a, I think it's a good time to uh, probably turn over to some questions. Yep, agreed. So, trying to get get the list of uh, questions I've seen here. So, so this is a good one to start with. Um, so uh, Sweet Jones on Twitter asked us, and I was I I saw him ask ask this to us last night, and I was honestly thinking all night about how I'd respond, and I don't even think I have a great response for it. Uh, but he asked us, um, what non-racing video game have you enjoyed that had decent physical physics besides GTA installments? Uh, he's really gotten into Spin Tires Mudrunner on PS4. It's a game he never thought he'd see on console. I, I have played Spin Tires. Uh, it is a lot of fun. <laughs> Especially when you have a group of people together, Brendan. Do you know anything about spin tires? Yeah, actually, I have. Um, I've played. I've played a bit of it myself, but I'm not an extensive amount. It's really funny. It's like, especially coming from like sort of a rural part of uh, of Jersey and PA. Like, uh, it it does remind me of like hearing stories from my friends in high school. It's like, yeah, I took my Bronco out in the mud and I got stuck, and someone else had to winch me out. And it's just like. <laughs> It honestly sounds miserable, but like when you do it in spin tires, it's it's uh it's fun. Just like if you get a small group of people, like I used to play with these two guys, and you just get into stupid situations and you have to help each other out, and it's and you don't even get anywhere. Like you maybe have an objective and you may you move like two feet, but you're laughing the whole time. So uh, spin tires is great. But um, I've got the Switch version of the game. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a Switch version. Yeah. That's amazing. They ported it to the Switch, and that's the thing. Like I got it like last Christmas, um, pretty randomly. I've not played much of it, but I'm actually tempted to go back and give it a go now. It's it is the best with other people, I would say. It's not really a fun game to play yourself, but um, but yeah. So so to to his question, what what's your answer to this? Give me more time uh, to think. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, um, Euro Truck Simulator, um. I absolutely is that not love a racing Euro game Truck. though. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's as much of a, a racing game as Spin Tires is. I would say 
because okay. technically speaking, all you're doing is basically taking cargo from one location to the other. Um, there might be a timed element to it, but it isn't. It isn't primarily about racing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that it doesn't qualify as a racing game. And Euro Truck Simulator, it's just, it's not like anything else I've ever played. Um, it's just such a silly idea that should be fun for five minutes, but it's so easy to get carried away as you try to park your cargo at the end of a three-hour journey and completely fuck it up. Um, we're fans of the, the comedian Lemmy, Adam, um, and he he plays a lot of Euro Truck Simulator. Oh, I hilarious didn't know streams. Oh man, That's you great. need to check them out. The, the streams are hilarious. That's basically all he does on Twitch. He occasionally plays other games, but he always ends up throwing his trucker hat on. <laughs> and he, he bought a That's wheel specifically amazing. for playing it. Um, <sighs> I love it's hilarious. Guy. I need to send you some clips, but um, yeah, it's it's weirdly addictive, and the game just does a good job of kind of highlighting how difficult it is to drive these trucks around like normal areas when you're on the motorway it's great there, there isn't really on the highway um, there isn't really any difficulties but it's like you get to a set of traffic lights and it's like you need to make a right hand turn and the absolute chaos that ensues is absolutely hilarious um, the, the kind of the interior of the trucks have like dashboard cams as well that show you all around the car or the, the truck sorry just like real life and just seeing like the, the kind of passenger cars like flickering their lights at you and pumping their horn because you've totally fucked up a right hand turn oh, it's hilarious it's a great game and um, it's definitely as far as I'm concerned um, one of the best non racing games although it is a driving game so it should have good physics I still don't think anyone would have expected it to be as good as it has and it's got quite a community as a result yeah yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I know nothing about that game, but um, you're speaking very highly of it, so I should probably take notice. Uh, yeah, so my I, I have two answers to this, depending on like the nature of this question. If we're talking strictly non-racing, but still, you could argue, still definitely driving fast, um, Crazy Taxi. Which, like, ah, Crazy yeah. Taxi's physics are absurd and make no sense and uh, very glitchy and very prone to problems. But for whatever reason, they just they work so well for that game. And like I have played so much Crazy Taxi over the years that like I, I've actually I'm actually pretty proud of how good I am at that game. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a world record uh, Bay Bridge holder Brendan over here. But uh, <laughs> but no, I can I can like get like the without much trouble. I can get like the second to highest uh, license. Um on the dreamcast version i can do i can do the limit cuts i can do all that stuff uh i can you know do the crazy starts and the and and get the top speed up to ridiculous points and yeah i i, I just feel really comfortable in that game i've grown to feel comfortable in it like over time and i've also grown to learn how to exploit it you know just like when i'm going to uh for example the the second what usually ends up being your second stop in that game after the top of the cable car is the bottom of the cable car uh, stop. And I will usually go full drift into the corner of that um, of that space, get myself lodged in between like the, the asphalt on the ground and like the railing to the right and get my car up on like a 45 degree angle 
get it stuck there and not be able to move, but because half the wheels will be in the air, I'll just be racking up money and tips the entire time for like a good like 20 seconds <laughs> and then get, well, not 20 seconds, but a long time and get my car to land and then bank all of this extra money. <laughs> so stupid, stupid crap like that that you can only do in Crazy Taxi. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, if, if that's what he was trying to say, I don't know if, uh, if that's a spear of the question, but... A crazy Taxi is a great choice because, like you're saying, it, it handles like no other game, and it's not quite exploiting the engine as it is as just like making the most of how it allows you to earn cash. And there are so many fucking strange techniques you can do, like basically forcing the front of the car into the the tarmac. <laughs> you go around some bends and um, crazy stuff like that. Funnily enough, I guess that's I mean, why it's called Crazy Taxi. It's it's almost broken. Like to be brutally honest, like, <laughs> you get in such weird. But I think I think the way that that game, you could say that like it's it's very broken. It's very prone to glitches and it's a little bit broken. But it's broken in such a way that like you're always moving forward. So like you never, even even if something weird does happen with your vehicle where you're pointing at the sky for a minute. You immediately come back down, like you're magnetically attached to the ground, and you, and you keep going. Nothing, nothing really shakes you off your path for too long. Uh, that game just keeps you moving, and it works really well. But that's my pick for game that you could almost maybe describe as a racing game. Uh, my other pick would have been Halo, ah. um, just because I just remember like. Driving in that game, I, so so like when I played the first Halo, driving the Warthog uh, with the two sticks was a very weird experience because I never played anything with two sticks before, like driven anything with two sticks before. Uh, but you get used to it, and then over the years, I I remember like when Halo Three came out, did a lot of like forge racing in that game, like these these tracks created in forge mode, uh, yeah. and like go going around them with like ghosts and. Um, and the vehicles in that game and like a warthog or the atv and and that was fun those those were fun times uh so the vehicle physics in halo i think out of any like first person shooter uh they're the ones i prefer because battlefield gets a little bit wonky um but but i do i do have a fun time even just driving the warthog in halo yeah i think that's a, a good outlandish choice as well to bring it back to something that you wouldn't expect i mean if we were going way out like that i actually quite like the kind of jet ski things in uh, destiny i can't remember what they're actually called I'm pretty the sure sparrows yeah. yeah 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 those i mean you know how big of big fans we are of wipeout and anti-gravity racers and i was actually shocked at how much fun it was to drive around the sparrows but also a bit disillusioned by how much you can actually do with them but like I, I, I genuinely good fun just kind of driving those things about and imagining what a kind of a wave race but destiny version of that game could have been like driving those they were good fun yeah i, I can say you're making uh you know friend of the show andrew elmore and and bungie employee <laughs> you were making him very happy because uh i know he would love nothing more than to than for them to make a sparrow racing spin-off <laughs> Well, he's in the position he can float the question, so I look forward to that spin-off. Yeah, same here. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, other questions? Um, let's go back a couple couple ticks here on the thread. All right, so so Ben Fact asks us uh, another another tough one, but for different reasons. 
Yeah. Do you, do you think the '90s <laughs> super super GP uh, Kickstarter project will ever see the light of day? It's like a never-ending de development hell story. Yeah, this one's really sad. Uh, I I hope I hope they get it out. I think they will get it out, but in what shape? Uh, who's to say? Yeah, this is um, this is this is just a sad one, really, because. I think it's kind of briefly been mentioned in a few of our episodes that we're both really hyped about what we've seen from this game. But the biggest issue seems to be almost related to scope creep or feature creep in terms of what they're actually trying to make the game become. Because, in theory, if this game had been released with, say, five tracks and ten cars, with that physics engine they've created, we would have probably really enjoyed what they put out based on what we're seeing. But it's just not clear what, what the holdup is and the kind of communication is a bit iffy. Um, Nicholas is um, publishing the game, I believe, which is not really a good sign either. Um, some kind of horror stories with those guys in relation to indie developers um, that Kotaku covered not too long ago. It's, yep. it's a strange scenario, to put it lightly. Yeah, I mean, we were, I think everybody who had been waiting back in like 2012 for like some kind of a of a modern approach to like a Daytona or a Scud race was super excited when they saw this game. I mean, Scud race has always been like kind of my favorite Sega arcade racer. So, uh, and, and this was called 90s Arcade Racer when they initially started the project. I backed it. And then just after like after a year, after two years, just the updates just stopped coming. And, uh, and I, I thought it was dead. I... I think there was the first big update in a while when they like changed the name of the game and they kind of reminded people it was like actually coming out. I think there was like a year ago or like a year and a half ago. I pulled my I pulled my backing because I was just like it yeah. just, just does not seem like it, it is going anywhere. And uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly have not followed it much since then. It's a shame because like, God, we've been seeing like between this and like formula fusion for example just like these racing games that we always wanted made and it really seemed like crowdfunding could be the way that they could happen yeah and these projects just like something you know is the lack of funds uh is it just people being weird i mean we've seen it with uh i think the the most crushing uh, example of that was drift stage so many people were excited for drift stage but it's basically from what i understand it's been held in this position where one of the main designers basically just like left and just oh. they the rest of the team has not heard from them in months years so that game is essentially never happening and so yeah. many people were excited for it it's it is such a shame and i've actually got a quote from um, the nicholas founder tyrone rodriguez about the game this is what he said in september this year and it kind of ties into what we're talking about really the original scope of what was in the Kickstarter wasn't realistic for a single artist to do. He'll be able to get a lot of things running, but you need a specialist for a lot of things, like online, which the game will now have. I don't think we could have found a quote that more succinctly kind of backs up what we've just talked about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I mean, I if you go to the Kickstarter, you see all of the same uh, pictures and posts and, and just like the vision of what they want the game to be uh of pelican 13 who was developing it um so you can kind of go through and see the things like their stretch goals and what they wanted to do um 
you know, a drift point scoring system like Kudos and PGR, local multiplayer. Uh, you know, some of these things aren't as important as others. I, I don't think we necessarily need... Like, the drift mode would maybe be a nice thing to work on after release, but not something that needs to be in the game before the game comes out. And uh, local multiplayer... Uh, I guess it depends on where people are really playing this. I, I think local multiplayer would be great, but you yeah. know, especially if people are playing this on PC, local multiplayer will not be as important. So, so maybe just focus on the online aspect. Like, sir, I, yeah, I, I just feel like there was kind of a feature creep when really all this game needed to be, at least at launch, was just three cars or uh, three three tracks and a car. You know, yeah, it, it really didn't need to be more than that. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do hope we see it one day. If it comes out, I'll definitely pick it up. Like I'm not, I'm not over it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Don't hold your breath on it. But um, if it does come out, then of course we'll be there because any of the gameplay footage that had been released over the previous years looked incredibly promising. Um, hopefully, it doesn't turn out to be another one of these stories um, that the game doesn't end up getting released. Because it, it looks it looks fantastic from what we've seen, but to be honest, it's not something I think about quite regularly now because of the current state of it. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about it is just looking at, like, even the earliest photos, like, you know, obviously it probably made, like, Unreal Engine 3 or whatever was available at the time, but the way the graphics were done, it looks so like a modern Model 3 racer. Like, the way the textures have yeah. been done, how reflective the cars are. Like, the art direction is totally on point uh, from Pelican 13. I mean, this guy, like, or, or whoever was doing that, I mean, he, he, they really understood how to make this game look authentic uh, in a way that, for example, if you see Daytona Championship USA, they did not at all try to make that game look <laughs> anywhere near authentic. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll happen, but... Uh, We'll see. I, I think it'll come out. Just again, I uh, who knows how much longer it'll take and what state it will be in. Yeah, exactly. We'll just have to wait for the latest worthwhile update and then take it from there. Yeah, and then uh, the last question was if we have from from uh, Ali Sems, if we have ever played Fuel, and I haven't. So that one's oh, easy really? for me to answer. Yep. <laughs> uh, well. I've played it, um, and yeah, Fuel is a, an odd game. Once again, one of these ones, you could probably make a podcast discussing it. Uh, it I don't know how much you know about the game, Adam. Are you aware of it at all, or is it just a case of heard the name and that? Is that the one that was done by like the ATV Off-Road Fury people, or, or am I getting that confused with something else? Uh, I'm just checking it out. Uh, no, they didn't actually create that game, but um, I think I know what one you're talking about. This one was actually developed by Asobo Studio, um, French video game company. They have such classics in their library as Ratatouille, Wally Up, and Toy Story 3. But <laughs> the, the funny thing about these guys is that they're now helming the latest flight simulator game for Microsoft. <laughs> like that oh, wow. massive fucking flight simulator game. Okay. Yeah, and cool. there's a reason for that. Because Fuel actually, I believe, still holds the world record, or it held it at one point, for the largest playable area in a console game ever. Wow. So, yep, they have some experience in creating massive environments. Um, 
And that's really what Fuel was sold upon, the idea that it had this incredible landscape of playable area. The problem is though, as far as I'm concerned, it was a very empty game, as you can imagine would be the case trying to do that on PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Um, the game ties into it being a wasteland, but that doesn't kind of cover up for... I mean, I, I, would, I would consider it a boring experience, but I can also see the flip side of people really enjoying the, the fact that they had so much crafted area to kind of navigate, and I guess that's what made the game special in a way. It, it wasn't randomly generated or anything like that. The creators had literally modelled every single like square inch of the environment. Yeah, it dropped right at that time of like every other game just having, uh, you know, just being a four-letter word. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. fuel, grid. <laughs> I mean, not even just racing games, like rage. Uh, I don't know. There was the, like ruse or something. I don't know. Rise. Yeah. Just all these games that just just interchangeable names I just didn't pay attention to. But I, I never really was into the extreme sports thing that much. I, well, I mean, it depends on what you're talking about because, like, you know, if Nintendo made a, uh, a 1080 sequel, I would go out and buy that yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I was never really into the whole, like, ATV thing or, like, um, motocross. I, I do remember playing ATV off of Fury of the Friends House and thinking that was a lot of fun. But sure that was like kind of the lone exception for me um so yeah never never played fuel never really had an interest in playing fuel yeah it's it's hard to recommend i would say purely because the actual racing mechanics aren't that great either it it's a bit of an anomaly a cool idea and concept asobo clearly have talented developers that for whatever reason haven't quite had the chance to kind of stretch their creative muscle in many titles but hopefully if we do something like Flight Simulator they might get other opportunities but um, yeah Fuel is uh, it, it felt like a game made to get that kind of world record almost because I just personally find the whole wasteland kind of environment incredibly boring and when it was as empty as Fuel was as well it just there really isn't that much to see here and I'm just I'm reading an old um, Eurogamer review and they actually point out that the game had 40 kilometer in-game like sight lines so the draw distance was insane but there was still nothing to see so it didn't really make a difference it just it felt very barren to me and I, it's not one that I think I could go back and play because I distinctly remember from playing it before that I, I got bored of it pretty damn quickly I wonder how the size of that world, I mean, sure, it's larger because you say it holds a record, but, like, how much bigger it is than, for example, like, Test Drive Unlimited's Hawaii. Because that, I don't know, I, I thought that was massive. I still, I feel like still for the time, it's, like, it's like bigger than any racing game, at least I played now. I feel like it's bigger than Forza Horizon 4's world. Yeah, I, I would actually, I know for, like, other open world games, different genres, people often make kind of layered maps that show how map size relates. <coughs> Never seen it though for many racing games, so that'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I totally agree. Somebody needs to do it for racing games, because uh, I, I saw it for, I remember seeing it for like GTA and Breath of yeah, the Wild and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah, that'd be really cool. 
it does have a PC port feel. So uh, we've said before, like the PC effect on many older games, um, even outside of the racing genre. For example, I, I downloaded Sonic Generations recently, and I'm having fantastic fun revisiting that on PC. Maybe fuel benefits from the, the PC upgrade, but I, I'd highly doubt it because it seems like game design was more the problem as opposed to kind of technical limitations. Right, right. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, based on what you said, I probably won't play it. But uh, but now I know more about it than I ever did before. So that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess that not quite crushing disappointment, not quite good point to end is still a point to end on for this episode <laughs> it is yeah it is a uh, pretty full show um glad we got to catch up on some things we had an opportunity to talk about and uh and yeah and not really sure what's what's next for us i mean we have a bunch of different ideas but we're also heading hang into the holidays so i can't promise that we're gonna have another show up before thanksgiving i mean this one's come coming right in the back of the cart cast because we wanted to we really wanted to have that that free practice in to catch up, yeah. but uh, but yeah, we'll 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 see what happens. And regardless, um, lots of lots of people we want to talk to. Uh, I have to work on the art still for the next season, which uh, will you'll see when I post this because this is the thirtieth episode. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm really hyped to see that art myself, as I'm sure the, the listeners are as well. Um, terms of what's coming next like you say get into the holidays everything gets mad busy um one thing we are trying to block out for sure among that time period is some form of christmas cast or holiday yeah. cast so to speak yeah we have had some fantastic ideas a lot more than we thought we'd get i think um the only one i think we can safely rule out is the motorstorm arctic edge uh, retrospective because um if we're just we're just not that large on the series are we adam <laughs> I mean, I really like Motor Storm, but I don't think that game really deserves <laughs> a single look. I mean, it's a, it's a good game. It's a really it's a really good port for the PSP, but but yeah, not not gonna do that. Similarly, uh, I know um, I know Fernando uh, recently asked us on Twitter to do a Juice retrospective. That's also something I'm sorry to say I have zero interest in. So uh, I don't know if you if you want if you want your own your Juice show. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you start up a rival podcast a time extent. <laughs> Just extend. Just extend, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there's the, the the Christmas cast definitely something we want to do. Absolutely, uh, block out time for it. Someone also had the brilliant idea of the Stream Ridge Racer four on New Year's. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Four, yeah. Which like I don't know how we do that. I don't know who is free on New Year's or can do it. But it it'd be cool. I'd be into that if there was a way to do it. Maybe maybe like I could stream it. If you're not available, I could stream it on what would be like New Year's in the UK because that would still be before New Year's for me, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, once again, it's just such a busy time period. It's a fantastic idea. Um, any, any excuse to bring Ridge Racer Type 4 back into the, the Time Extend realm is something that we will always back. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So... Yeah, that just about wraps it up. So, um, everyone, thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you on the other side. See you next time, guys.